On this episode of Out of Bounds with Dylan James, we talk about the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Round one just concluded, and we're going to be talking about what to expect as the conference semifinals begin today. We'll also discuss the latest from the NBA restart as the playoffs have now started. And who's in trouble? The Milwaukee Bucks or the LA Lakers? We'll also discuss Major League Baseball's battle with the coronavirus and how it's affecting their baseball teams. And the NFL also has some of the teams have made announcements on fan attendance this fall. Segments include JT's football recap of the week, winners and losers, and final thoughts. And this is Out of Bounds with Dylan James. Hey everybody, how's it going? It's Dylan James. You're listening to Out of Bounds. I have JT Taylor. We are still social distancing here on the podcast. He is on the phone with me this afternoon. And we've got a lot to talk about tonight, today, about hockey, basketball. They're both in playoffs right now. we still got some baseball to talk about. NFL is heating up with training camp. And we've got a few other things to talk about as well. JT, how's it going, sir? I'm doing good, Dylan. And just for the record, um, I know we've been doing social distancing for a while, but it's not going to anytime soon. So I hope me and you have gotten used to it by now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've gotten used to it. I, I know I have. I don't know if you have, but I have. I mean, over the phone is fine. I'd rather be sitting across the table from you like we usually do. But it's it's the world we live in right now. Oh, no, I understand, and uh, I've been used to it, obviously, being back at work, because that's what I have to do at work, do at home, with my roommates, you know, keep everybody safe, because that's, you know, the most important thing, you know, do everything, wash your hands, and stay safe, everybody, that's what we gotta do. Yep, take those precautions, wash your hands, you know, wear your mask, uh, you know, when you're in a crowded room, and things like that, just do the things you need to do, so we can get past this, and watch sports live in an arena, or in a stadium, like we're used to. Well, Dylan, there are some sports that will, depending on where you live, of course, because they're not doing that in New York, for example, but some places will allow some fans, usually about 20% most of the time. And here at Disney, the movie theaters just opened up, the AMC, stuff like that, with capacity. So that'll be pretty interesting as well. But slowly but surely, you know, school's open too. College football, hopefully we'll start up in the next month or so. So we'll see, Dylan. We'll see how it goes. But if anything, I'm happy sports is back. We got hockey, NBA. Uh, Next month's going to be the U.S. Open for golf. And then you got the Kentucky Derby. The Indy 500, I think, is coming up this month. So, yeah, we got a lot going on. A lot coming up in the next month for sure. A lot coming up for sure. Yes, NFL too. Training camp's been going on. It's been kicking off. I've been watching a little bit of the Titans training camp. We'll get more into that later on in the show. But, yeah, NFL is coming back full swing. They're ready to play. I know there's been some news about, like you said, attendance and capacity for stadiums and some stadiums not allowing fans at all. And we'll get into that momentarily. So stay tuned because we'll definitely be talking more about that later in the show. Now let's get into NHL because the Stanley Cup playoffs are in full swing and the first round has concluded. So we're going to talk about some of the matchups we saw in round one and what that means for round two going into play for these teams, the final eight teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So let's first get into the Western Conference, and one of the games that 
people were looking at thinking, you know, the team involved in this game could be a black horse was the Chicago Blackhawks and the Vegas Golden Knights and the black horse being the Blackhawks. And it turned out not to be the case because Vegas decided to rip them a new one, essentially. Corey Crawford was playing pretty well for the Chicago Blackhawks. We were talking about the youth and the experience combination there for Chicago. That was going to be a deadly force. But going into this, going into the series, people thought Chicago had a shot, but Vegas just turned it on when they needed to. They've been humming since the beginning, and they just have contributions up and down that lineup. <clears throat> yes, Dylan, uh, Robin Lehner played really well <clears throat> for the Vegas Golden Knight in the series, and I knew for Chicago it was all going to come down to Corey Crawford, and he kept them alive for one game. You know, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, tried to keep things going for the Blackhawks, but Vegas was just a better team in this series, Dylan. Very fast, very quick, especially that third line with Alex Tuck, Nick Roy, and Nick Cousins dominated the Blackhawks in this series. And Vegas, hey, well played. They did really well, and they're on to the next round. But hey, you know, Chicago, Dylan, hey, they can't go home with their heads down. They should hold their heads up high because no one expected them to be in the playoffs. They had a great one. They beat the Oilers. No one expected that. And hey, they can build on towards next year. Yeah, definitely can. I think they showed some good things in this playoff series. They showed some good things in the playoffs in general. But yeah, again, at the very end of the day, the Vegas Golden Knights, they are my favorite to at least get to the Stanley Cup Finals this year. And, you know, Vegas showed, they, they proved that they can, they're contenders. They proved they, they should be there. And they proved that they can go on to win the Stanley Cup this year if they continue on this trajectory. Now let's move on to another series Another uh, central central division foe of the National Predators, the Colorado Avalanche. They have been just absolutely dominant in this playoff um, so far. And they went up against the Arizona Coyotes, coming in from a series with the National Predators where Darcy Kemper played lights out on the National Predators. But it came into this series, and it was a bit of a different story. Colorado just kept peppering them with shots. McKinnon, Kadri, Rantanen, they were all shining for the Avalanche in this series. And Francis actually was shining in net. He has only allowed a 1.02 goals against average in this playoff so far. He's been playing absolutely lights out. And again, I mean, they have they have really good goaltending. They have really good offense. And they're not getting many shots on net from opposing teams. I think they're only averaging like 24 shots on net a game, which is crazy to think about. But it looks, it shows that the defense is playing very well in front of the goaltender and the goaltending is doing their job when they have to. But Colorado is just showing their dominance in this series. Yes, Dylan. I think a lot of people had the Colorado Avalanche as a favorite to go to the Stanley Cup finals. And you see why this team is really good. The thing I like about Colorado is they have had this nucleus of players there for quite a while. Gabriel Landeskog, of course, Nathan McKinnon, and they've added key pieces. Of course, Philip Grubauer. They also added, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Nazim Kadri. So this team has been really good, Dylan. And against Arizona, they really showed uh, tooth and nail in this series. Arizona just was not the same level as the Avalanche were. And the Avalanche, in the last two games, they basically scored two touchdowns against the Arizona Coyotes, being in both games 
seven to one. It's insane. Uh, they, they just know how to score. They, they they know how to score. They put the puck in the net, and they just hold on to that lead. And when you get a seven, when you get seven goals in one game, you're most likely going to win that game. And we saw that with the Dallas Stars, which we'll talk about in just a moment as well. But yeah, I mean that that series was just unfair for the Arizona Coyotes. Darcy Kemper looked lost out there. A lot of pucks got behind him. They pulled him several games. Um, I it, it just did not look good for the Arizona Coyotes. They did not look like the team they were against the National Predators. But again, that goes to the whole puck luck situation, which, you know, at the end of the day, hindsight's twenty twenty. There are some things that could have changed for the National Predators to move on. But the Arizona Coyotes had their number at the moment. But in this series, Colorado had Arizona's number, and it showed um, extremely on uh, extremely on the TV. And, and while you were watching, it was just absolutely incredible to watch. It was definitely Dylan on the offensive side for the Coyotes because in this series, as I mentioned, two games, Avalanche scored fourteen goals. The Coyotes base scored five in the series, and on top of that, their offense was really struggling. Uh, the Avalanche did a really good job shutting down. Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall in this series. So it's, I think it was just Arizona just met a better team and they just couldn't keep up. They tried. Rick Tonga said we tried, but <laughs> Air, Avalanche is a, a much better team and we got our butts whooped. So we just got to take it on the chin and move on to do better next season. Yeah, let's move on to the next series. It's the Dallas Stars versus the Calgary Flames. Calgary went into this series, and I thought Calgary was going to get the win, especially with how Dallas looked like they were struggling, especially in the round robin. But they came into this series, and especially having Ben Bishop not there as unfit to play, Qdoban was in net for several of these games, and they proved to be too much to handle for the Calgary Flames. It just looked like the Dallas Stars have gotten into their own. And again, Calgary just could not get the offense going like they did before. Oh, boy, Dylan, I don't know where to start, but if you thought the Calgary Flames were too hot to handle, boy, the Dallas Stars proved in the last game they were definitely too hot to handle for the Flames. Now, the Flames, of course, did not have Matthew Kachuk. He was out this, in this series, unfortunately. And Calgary, I don't know what happened, Dylan. They really, that game, they had to win. We're off to a good start, up 3 nothing, 3 nothing. Then Milan Lushi takes a penalty in that game, and it changed the whole game. And then Dallas just went on fire. Went on fire with all these their goals from, of course, their top rookie, Dennis Gutov, you know, great young player for the Dallas Stars. And Anton Kadobin, he stepped up in this series um, for Dallas and kept the limited pressure for the team and slowed the Flames' offense down Cam Del- Talbot really struggled for them. And when they put David Riddick, I mean, Dylan, David Riddick, he, he hasn't played at all in these playoffs. And it really showed in that game, in uh, game six, because he just couldn't stop anything. And the Flames just, like you said, flamed out. No pun intended, but they literally flamed out once they made the goalie change. And, well, Dallas, they have done really well in this series. Joe Pavelski got six goals, and Jamie Benn has stepped up. And, of course, Dennis Gorchev, you know, four goals. Four goals, Dylan, for uh, 
Gorsav, I mean, Dylan, I mean, very impressive for the rookie. What do you think of Denis Gorianov's performance? Yeah, he did really well. I, th- I think that um, for the Dallas Stars, they needed some more depth playing. I think having him there, definitely putting you know pucks in the net, that's that's a huge addition for the Dallas Stars. And also, Joe Pavelski played p- pretty well in the series, too. So that's an a- addition they had early in this year um, from the San Jose Sharks. So that's a, that's a huge addition for the Dallas Stars, and it's proven to be worthwhile at this point. I mean, the team's playing very well. I think they have a very strong case to excel in this next series, although it's against Colorado. I think it's going to be a tougher series than Colorado thought it was going to be. But again, the, the one question I have is, can Kudobin be the guy in net day in and day out? Because if Ben Bishop's still unfit to play in this next series against Colorado, I have a hard time believing that Qdoban can take the reins and continue to be the starting goaltender night in and night out. It's it's going to be very tough. It's it's different being a change of pace goaltender. Qdoban to me is a change of pace goaltender. He's not going to be in there every single night. He's not going to give you, you know. I, 60, 70, 80% of the games that you usually see in a starter, I think he's more of a change of pace goaltender. That's just my personal opinion, but I, I think that it's it's going to be tough for him to continue this strong play he's been he's been playing, especially against the Colorado team, because Colorado is just going to come in there buzzing around Qdoban, and I don't know if he can stop some of the shots that Colorado is going to be putting on him. <clears throat> Yes, still in, uh, Den- uh, Dennis. <laughs> Thinking of Dennis Goranov still. <laughs> still our game. But yes, for Colorado and Dallas, it's going to be a very interesting series, Dylan, in that game. And I think it's it's gonna it's it's a series, Dylan. That I think that is could potentially go six or seven games. It's going to be a very interesting battle um, between those two teams. Because you're going to have really solid lines. Um, Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Ratanen, and then Dallas, you know, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, and Alexander Radulov, they're going to really have to step up in that series against Colorado. So the defense, I think, is an area that Dallas is going to have to really pay attention to. Um, and I think Dylan, with Mir Iskinen getting uh, top assists, He's going to definitely have to carry that line with John Klinberg to uh, keep that defense in check. As you mentioned about Anton Kadobin, 0.919 save percentage. Really well in this last game against Calgary. But Carl's a different animal. And you got two goalies. Remember, Philip Grubauer, 0.937. Pavel Francois Sauce? Francois, yeah. Francois. Francois. Oh, my goodness. Francois. <laughs> my apologies. 0.958 save percentage. So, I mean, if you were talking goaltending, it's obvious still. You have to give the Avs an advantage on that one, especially if Bishop may still not be able to play in the next series. That's a huge thing, too. It's the next guy up. It's kind of like in Calgary when you said that Matthew Kachuk was out for that most of that series anyway. Matthew Kachuk, I mean, he is a piece that it's very hard to play without him, especially in Calgary because he's such a driver of the offense that it's just tough to not have him on the ice. But at the same time, you have to have that next man up mentality to where the next guy that steps in needs to play 
like he's never played before, especially in the playoffs. If you want to win, you have to get in there and play like you're an NHL veteran in a playoff game that you've been in before to get to that next step. And Calgary just wasn't able to do that. I think if if Matthew Kachuk were still in the game, in that series, I think it would have been different. I think the Calgary Flames would have still been able to overcome the obstacle of the Dallas Stars. But at the end of the day, next man up mentality, you have to have that in the playoffs. And Dallas has shown that so far with the Ben Bishop situation, having Anton Kudobin get in there in net. So we'll see if they can continue to do that work going into the next series. Now, let's go on to the Vancouver Canucks versus the St. Louis Blues. The St. Louis Blues were the reigning Stanley Cup champions from last year, and it didn't look like it in this series because Vancouver just, they were all over them the entire series. I mean, it, it ended at 4-2 was the, series, uh, was the series record, but still, Vancouver did work on the St. Louis Blues. And... Elias Pettersson was one of the main reasons why. He's leading in points in the playoffs so far this year, 13 points so far. He's just playing like a playoff vet. And if you have a a young player like that with so much confidence playing at that level, and especially with the the nucleus around him, I think that it's going to be very, very hard for the next series against Vegas. That's probably going to be one of the best series of round two, will be Vegas versus Vancouver. That's going to be the series I'm looking at the most because those teams get it going at it. I truly see that being a seven-game series. <clears throat> yes, Dylan. Vancouver, I've been very pleased, as you mentioned, with um, Elias Pettersson. And, of course, don't forget, Jay Beagle stepped up for them and Quinn Hughes for yeah, the true. Vancouver Canucks. True. Uh, I think for St. Louis, their downfall in this series really came down to goaltending, Dylan. They had started Jordan Bington in the first couple of games, but he really struggled. They were down 2-0. St. Louis came back, tied the series. And one thing I noticed, still, and I know we'll talk about the other series in a minute, but teams that, when the pause happened and they came back to the restart, they really have struggled. St. Louis was one of those teams. My Washington Capitals, who we'll talk about in a minute, <laughs> was also one of those teams. And, of course, the Boston Bruins. All these teams, Dylan, we're struggling as the restart when we get to the round robin tournament. And I thought when St. Louis came back in the series to tie Vancouver, I thought it looks like you turn around. Looks like they got their mojo back and they're finally going to turn around. But then Tarashenko didn't play. And then they switched goaltenders. And he's like, you know what, Craig Bube? I'm going to make changes. We're going to go ahead. And I know Jake Allen has been doing good for us to get us back in the series. But you know, Let's put Jordan Bainton back in, get him going again. And it, he just couldn't stop him. Vancouver just kept scoring and scoring and scoring, and they just couldn't slow him down. And Jacob Markstrom, the goaltender for Vancouver, was stellar in this series. Made some huge saves. And I don't think that a lot of people thought Vancouver was going to be a team that's going to excel this quickly. I think people thought this was a project. This was going to take years before Vancouver would be good. But, hey, they're well ahead of their game, and, like you said, now they move on to take on the Vegas Golden Knights in the next round. They're capitalizing on their opportunity in this playoff. And again, it's a playoff format we've never seen before. There were teams that had been you know, on three to four month breaks and they got in training camp, got to the playoffs right away. And Vancouver's capitalized on that. And that's, that, that's something that is making me believe it's going to be a very tough series for Vegas. If Vegas can get past Vancouver, I think Vegas 
will have a very, very good shot at winning the Stanley Cup this year. But Vancouver, man, they're looking really, really good. Like you said, it's they have several pieces there. Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson, um, big players there. But on the, on the flip side for St. <clears throat> Louis, the, the loss of Tarasenko was absolutely huge. And like you said, Bennington not playing the way he's meant to play, not playing his Vesna type, you know, play he should be playing, especially winning the Stanley Cup last year and being so good in the playoffs last year. It's just, it's tough to watch if you were a St. Louis fan. But at the end of the day, you lost to a very, very good team in the Vancouver Canucks. It's just, it's, it just overpowered the St. Louis Blues. They just couldn't do anything about it. Not to mention Bennington. Throughout the around robin play and then going into the playoffs, his save percentage was a .862, while Allen's was a .939. So I didn't understand why Craig Brube. I understand he wanted to change momentum, try to get his team back in the series, but if Jake Allen is proven to be the better goaltender, you go with him. Just like who I talked about the minute by my Capitals, Ilya Samsonov, but for the most part, had outplayed Hopi during the regular season. Hopi was kind of up and down with some injuries. But because he got injured before the restart, you had to go with Hopi. So, you know, it's kind of interesting now how these coaches, like you said, do the downtime and getting back in play, how they had to play a game of chess with their goldies because they haven't played in months and your team's struggling. You got to switch. Try to get a spark. That's like what Calgary did with Dallas. Didn't work out for them. St. Louis tried to do the same thing. It didn't work out for them. Yeah, and that, that's why it's so hard to switch out goaltenders in the playoffs because if you if you lose any sort of momentum or if you if you switch one particular piece, it could be the end of your series just right there, or it could be your saving grace and you move on to win the Stanley Cup. So it's it's a catch twenty two. It's one of those things you need to change something up, but what piece do you change up? And good coaches out there know what pieces to change. And like you said, Baruby just I, I don't think he made the right decision either, but. At the end of the day, he made his decision. He has to live with it. And the St. Louis Blues have more time to, you know, get some tea times before next season starts, I guess. I don't know. So let's move on to the next conference. In the Eastern Conference, we'll start off with the Boston Bruins, actually, versus the Carolina Hurricanes. Boston decided to finally wake up from their round-robin play. They, After the round-robin series, though, they did come out and say... There were a few players saying, you know, we, we we looked at these games as if they were exhibition games, as if they were preseason games. We weren't really playing to our full potential. And going into round one, I had the mentality of the Boston Bruins are a very slow team to begin with. They start off slow, and then they get they get hot later on in the series. And this was the series they decided to wake up. They beat the Carolina Hurricanes 4-1 to one in the series, and... Tuka Rask wasn't there. That's one thing that a lot of people don't realize. Tuka Rask was not in net, and they had to rely on Halak as the goaltender, and he proved to be a very good goaltender for the Boston Bruins. <clears throat> yes, Tuka Rask had left the team due to a family matter, so that's why he had to leave. But Yuroslav Halak, you know, Dylan, this guy's been in the league for I don't know how many years, but I remember when he... Swept my Capitals, unfortunately. <laughs> he was with the Canadians like a decade ago. And he's bounced around. He was with the Islanders. He was on our team for a while. And now he's with uh, Boston Bruins. So he's been a, he's had experience in these moments, Dylan. So when he when they called on him to step up, he stepped up. 
and kept his team in it. Boston played very defensive in this game. Patrice Bergeron, uh, Craig getting some goals for the Bruins. And Carolina I, just really struggled offensively, Dylan. They just couldn't get anything going. Um, <clears throat> the penalty kill, you know, was really a struggle for them. And even when they had the man advantage, they only went two for 15, Dylan. Uh, Carolina really struggled in this series. I think another thing that made a difference was Andre Shevchenko, uh, Andre Shevchenko, excuse me, I'm thinking soccer. Andre Sevnikov, there we go, has <laughs> really was injured. He was injured, and I think that made a difference in this series for Carolina, Dylan, because he missed the last two games with a lower body injury, and he's been a really good player for Carolina this season. And it really put a lot of pressure on Sebastian Ajo and Tuvo Teravainen to step up for Carolina, but all they had in the, the six games against Boston and the combined deal was seven points. So they really couldn't keep up with Boston. So yes, Dylan, Boston was slow, but they managed to wake up just in time. And now they're on to the next round. And also, like you said too, Boston has a very good defense there as well. And they're a very physical, very hard hitting team. So teams like the Carolina Hurricanes, it's it's going not going to be a very good, you know, a very pretty picture for the Hurricanes going up against the Bruins because the Bruins are just going to throw them around the ice the entire time and not allow shots on net, not allow goals. And we saw that with the goaltending. The goaltending was very good. Again, Halak played very well. And the defense in Boston just made the plays they needed to play to move on to the next round. So let's go on to the New York Islanders versus the Washington Capitals. JT, oh boy, I'll, 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 I'll let you start off with this one. I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm going to let you start off with this one. Uh, well, uh, another year, another first-round exit for the Washington Capitals. But to be honest, Dylan, I really didn't expect much from Washington this year. I was not expecting them to make a deep playoff run. Just because, Dylan, the Caps had really struggled in these playoffs this year. I mean, you saw in the round-robin, we were really struggling uh, against Philadelphia, Tampa Bay. Uh, we only got one win, and that was the last game against Boston. And because we beat them, we were the third seed. But guess what? We got to play the New York Islanders. And I told you two weeks ago, Dylan, the New York Islanders were going to give us problems. And the Islanders, look, Barry Trotz was our former coach. He helped us win the Cup two years ago. And there was no doubt in my mind. Barry Trotz wanted to kind of get revenge over his old team. And the Islanders, Dylan, you got to give his team credit. They really played really well defensively, despite Dylan only struggling on the power play. I mean, that's the only thing the Capitals did good in the series was the penalty kill. You know, New York Islanders only had two power play goals out of like 22 attempts. That's the only good thing Washington had. But all the other games, Dylan, the New York Islanders had outshot us 17 to 8 in the series, pretty much. The first three games, game one, game two, game three, the Islanders outshot us. The only reason we outshot them in game four, because the Capitals, you can see a desperate urgency. We got to win to stay alive. We're going to get swept. And then they win that game. And I literally said we won that game on uh, Tuesday. I was like, all right, Ovechkin, all right, let's go. But we're basically going to live to die another day. That's what I said. And sure enough, on Thursday, we lost 4 nothing, and – the Islanders put us out of our misery. So, you know, it was a very frustrating series, Dylan. But I've said this Capitals team, Dylan, 
even though we kept the core of the team that won the Stanley Cup two years ago, it's not the same team, Dylan. It's like we regressed in a big way. And look, the, in this series, Dylan, our players didn't step up in this series. Uh, yes, Ovechkin got a couple goals. Kuznetsov, TJ Oshie. But that's it, Dylan. That's the only people that basically scored in this series. Nobody else had scored. Um, you know, no Tom Wilson. Uh, no no Tom Wilson. Uh, Backstrom, of course, he was out. So, he, he, of course, he didn't score. He only played the last game. And our line didn't step up as well. We also acquired Brendan Dillon from the San Jose Sharks. And he was kind of effective in this series. But, again, not enough. And, of course, we got to start with the big one, Braden Holtby. Braden Holtby, I mean, look, that man tried. He really did. But Braden Holtby, it just sucks. This is the way he has to go out because he, I know he's banged up. He, he tried to get the series gone. As I mentioned earlier, Ilya Samsonov, would, I believe, with Holtby struggling the round robin, Ilya Samsonov would have been our goalie if he was healthy to start in this series against the Islanders. And especially because he did really well. He had won 16 games, six losses in the regular season, and two overtime losses. But he was injured. He couldn't play. So that's why Hopi got to start in these playoffs. And remember, as I mentioned, Dylan, we only had three players score on eight goals. For the Islanders, Dylan, they had 17 goals from 10 different players. I mean, everybody knows you need a team to score goals if you want to win a series. And the Capitals, if you're only relying on Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Oshie get goals, that's not going to get it done. And yep. on top of that, Dylan, we spent more time in the penalty box than on the ice. We got 41 penalty minutes. Yes, Tom Wilson had a factor, but no surprise. But, you know, that's why the Caps, Dylan, just weren't in this game. And on top of that, Dylan, what everyone's talking about right now is the coach, Tom Reardon. Look, I said when it's easy to say it's in hindsight right now. I'm like, really, Washington? You didn't want to pay $25 million to keep a coach that just won you the Stanley Cup. But they didn't want to do it. Barry Trotz goes to the New York Islanders. And Todd Reardon, who took over, look, he's been assistant coach his entire career in Washington. He's never had, at least from my understanding, he has not had any prior head coaching experience at a, another hockey club. And in these games, Dylan, he, 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 he got out coached. He just really couldn't figure out how to beat Barry Trotz's system. And I'm like, you were with him for four years as an assistant. Did you not learn anything from Barry? Like, you know. Obviously not. So, uh, he clearly got outcoached in this series, and it really showed, Dylan. It really showed. And I felt like, it, I felt like, Dylan, the Cowboys played like they were, they were quit on coach, Todd Reardon. I'm not saying that Washington's going to fire him. GM Brian McCullough has to make a decision on that. But if I'm the GM for the Capitals, what I would do, if I'm Brian McLennan, is give Peter Lively a phone call. Give him a phone call. See if he would be interested in going to Washington. And if he is, then you make the move. You know, I I mean, Todd Ridden, Dylan, I think the team is just it just showed that they haven't responded. He's not gaining energy. He's not gaining the best out of a veteran, despite him scoring 48 goals this season. And it's the same story, Dylan. We know we can score on offense, but when it goes in the playoffs, we have nothing to show for it. So that's going to be something the Capitals are going to have to figure out. 
with their head coach situation. Um, Brain Holpe, as I already mentioned, he's going to probably leave, which is going to be sad, but the Caps are going to need him to go so we get $10 million in salary cap relief and we can use that money to try to get additional help, especially on the defense. The defense were really got killed, Dylan. Yes, besides John Carlson and Dmitry Orlov, the rest of our defense really struggled. Michael Kepney was banged up, so I expect that if the Caps are going to move anybody on defense, he's the most likely person to go. And I think the Caps, Dylan, are going to try to get younger. The fits for Penguins have already said, we are blessed wept by the Canadians. we got to get younger. So I expect the Capitals, Dylan, are going to do something similar. We do have some prospects in our system. Connor McMichael, Martin Verhert-Vriere, and we also have Alex Alexia. So we got some young players in the AHL that we can call up on the cheap. We don't got to spend a lot of money. And I think it will fit in the cap system very nicely. But I think before the Caps make any of the moves, they got to decide what they're going to do with the coach. That's, to me, the big thing. And then the other thing, Dylan, is free agency. I know we're not going to have a lot of money in any big pieces, but we can try to get at least uh, a mid-tier defender or defenseman. Um, so we can look at some options there, Dylan, and see what we can get on that end. And then, of course, they got to figure out what they're going to do with the free agency market. I think one option, if they look at the defensive route that we could get, um, that we could get in the series, I'm sorry, the series in the off season is if we get, <clears throat> is we get some defensive help that we've looked at. So for free agency, as I mentioned, Braden Hopi is going to be gone. Ilya Kovachuk is definitely going to be gone. And then, uh, you're going to also have Brendan Dillon. I think Brendan Dillon will, probably end up staying. And Ratko Gudas, he's our other free agent on the list, and he will probably be let go. So the Caps are going to have you know, some difficult decisions to make, Dylan, because the clock is ticking on the Capitals. And as I mentioned, Alex Ovechkin has one year left in his contract. So if I'm the Capitals, I try to get him locked up, but if he, he's going to be 35, so you don't lock him up, he can walk for nothing. And then I know Alex Ovechkin has said he's open to going back home to Russia to finish his career, but we don't know. And if I'm the Capitals, I would try to at least, if I'm the Capitals, I would try to get some younger players. I would try to trade some pieces like Michael Kebney, get him out, see if we can get somebody like a Colton Pareko from St. Louis or some other players like a Joel Edmondson. You know, we have some options we can look at to try to fill the hole in defense. And we know Ilya Samsonov is going to be the future for the Capitals going forward. So I think the Capitals, we're in a crossroads. That's where we're at right now. And after two years of being knocked down the first round, you can't afford to have another season like this. You make the playoffs to get out in the third round with Todd Ritter as a coach. So you got to make a decision on that. If he does come back next season, Dylan, I tell you right now, we were free falling before the pause with the whole COVID situation because we were we only won four out of the last twelve games. We were barely hanging on to the Metropolitan Division before we had the restart. So if Todd Ritter comes back and we're struggling, he's getting canned. And then they're going to bring someone else in. And that's the last thing you want. So that's what I say. Before the Cowboys make any moves, you got to make a decision on the coach. Hopefully, quickly. 
Yeah, no, what I are agree. What are your thoughts, Dylan? What no, are your thoughts on the outside? I, I agree. I think that uh, <coughs> finding a coach in the offseason is probably a better decision to make than to find one in the middle of a season. I saw with John Hines going to the National Predators that it was a slow it was a slow progression for the Predators getting that system put in place for them to be successful in the league. So I, I completely understand that you should be looking for a coach in the offseason. Peter Laviolette would be a good coach for probably three or four seasons. He's not going to be good after that. His system kind of gets stale after that point. So, I mean, having a... a a, a bridge gap, I guess you could ha- say, is is Peter Laviolette being there in the Washington Capitol system wouldn't be a bad idea. It would look like they're just stealing coaches from the National Predators, but that's okay. Um, so, <laughs> hey, so, Barry Trotz wants a cup. Why don't we get another one? True, true. Well, but, well, Barry Trotz, I mean, in this series with the, with the New York Islanders, he showed that he's a very defensive-minded coach, and they were able to shut down the Washington Capitals. But, however, the Washington Capitals should have had... They had more chances to actually score that they didn't capitalize on. So there should have been more players than just those three you mentioned from the Capitals. That well, Remember, Jacob Rana in Game 3 had two breakaways, and he missed both of them. Yeah. So, I mean, that's huge. The loss of Backstrom was huge for the Capitals, too. But not getting those greasy plays right in front of the goaltender like you know a Tom Wilson play I mean you, you would think that we would see more plays like that take away the goalie's eyes and get the puck in the net that way I mean we had Ben Raby on on the on puck off on JDF Sports so you can check us out every Tuesday at nine o'clock um, eastern time so on JDF Sports on our Facebook page but we talked to Ben Raby about this last Sunday, and he said look they need to get greasy goals they need to get in front of the goaltender and take away his eyes and get those greasy goals. That's the only way they can survive in this series. And they, they were looking better um, in Game 4 when they actually won. But they just could not stave off elimination anymore. And that's why they lost in Game 5. It, it was it was definitely a tough loss for the Capitals. I think it might be a wake-up call for the Capitals. Hopefully it is anyway. I think that McMichael in the AHL, I think he'll probably come up and see some more NHL time next season, if not be on the full-time roster, because the fans, like like you, have been clamoring for him for quite some time now, and I think it's time for him to get up there and show him, show the team what he's worth and show the team he can actually play with the big boys. But yeah, I think there's some changes that need to happen in Washington. The team does need to get younger. I think the move of Holpe will give Samson off a shot to be the starting goaltender there for Washington. I think he'll be the guy in Washington for a while and see how he pans out too. So there are pieces there that can that can play well. And I don't think you guys are far away from being contenders again. But at the same time, there just needs to be some things, some tweaks to the roster to make it a bit younger and see if we can get more production out of the guys that are already there. No, Dylan, I'd, I'd definitely see where you're talking about with the Capitals. And I think there are going to be some changes in Washington for that team. So we'll see how it goes. But I don't want to take any discredit for the New York Islanders. I got to give them all the credit. Barry Trotz had you know, a system, stuck with it. And his players, you know, from Matt Barzell, Anthony Bacouvier, and uh, Simeon Barlomov with great goaltending. I mean, Jordan Eberle. I mean, look, the list goes on and on for the Islanders. But they stepped up. And they outperform, and now they've won two series. They beat the Panthers, they beat the Caps, and now they're going to be on to play the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I know 
I can spend another hour talking about my capitals. We got to move on. <laughs> we got to move on. So yes. So let's talk about uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning beating Gary Venge over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, that was huge. I think Tampa Bay needed that, and it shows that they can actually get it done in the playoffs. I know that it was just one round. I know it was against the, the Blue Jackets, but the Blue Jackets last year were Tampa Bay's kryptonite. Tampa Bay could not get past the the Columbus Blue Jackets last year, and it gave them a first-round exit. They did not want that to happen again this year, so that's why they turned it on, and hopefully they keep this momentum going because they'll definitely need it going into the series against Boston, but I think Tampa played a very, very strong series against the Blue Jackets. They showed that it was a fluke last year for the Blue Jackets, and I think they'll be a strong team going into the series for the Boston Bruins. Uh, what are your thoughts on that series, JT? Man, what a difference a year makes, Dylan. Uh, <laughs> no Burkowski, no Matthew Shane, and Columbus gets the fight. Oh, look, I mean, Columbus was on a good run. Uh, as you know, I'm a big John Torrella fan. I love watching, seeing that guy yelling at everybody at the reporters and you know, all this stuff. Especially when he walked out the last game, he's like, you know, I don't got time for the mushy stuff. Y'all stay safe. <laughs> yeah, and he just left. Yep. Oh, I love it. But no, Tampa Bay, you got to get credit. They learned their lesson uh, after getting swept from the same team last year. And even though without Stamkos, they played very well. Andre Berleski played very well goaltending for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it seems like Dylan, the Lightning have now finally gotten their mojo back. And for Tampa Bay Lightning, they really are in a good mood to get this going because they got a tough team coming up with Boston in the next round. Yeah. Now let's go to the last series in the first round. It was the Philadelphia Flyers versus the Montreal Canadiens. Going into this, the Philadelphia was number one seed against the Montreal Canadiens. And Philadelphia showed their ways to beat the Flyers. They showed their weaknesses, especially Carter Hart and Nett. He showed several weaknesses in Nett, and it almost led to their demise. Montreal almost came back in that series, but then lost in Game 6, so it was a 4-2 series for Philadelphia. But uh, interesting series there, because Montreal was not not expected to play as well as they did. They did have Carey Price. Carey Price did play pretty well in this series, and he proves to be the guy in Montreal for now still. Um so I, th- I think it's interesting to see how Montreal played so well against Philadelphia, and I'm sure Philadelphia is going to have their handful hands full against the Islanders in the next round. Yeah, it's very true, Dylan. And the Montreal Canadiens look it's originally a 12 seed when the qualifying round, but hey, you know, like Chicago, they went on a good run. They they beat Pittsburgh, and they gave the Flyers literally everything they can handle. And you know, they outshot them like 13 to 11 in the series. You know, they've had players. I mean, Carter Hart was a really good player for the Flyers, keeping them in net, keeping them in the this, this series. And I think the Canadians made it closer than what people expected. But as you mentioned, Carey Price was the main man. He tried to keep it going. And I think for the Canadians, Dylan, they just, the Flyers like, you know, similar what we saw with Chicago and our Colorado and Arizona. It's very similar. Phoenix was just, or Phoenix. Philadelphia, excuse me, getting my cities right today, was uh, uh, a better team that just kept going, you know, with Giroux and that offense. And, you know, look, the Canadians, you know, just didn't have the offense to keep up with 
the Flyers in this series. So, yeah, Philadelphia, they move on. They will take on the New York Islanders. And this will be a very interesting series. You've got two different systems going out. But uh, Philadelphia, New York, it should be an interesting series for sure. Yeah, so let's move on to those series, actually. Round two will start today, the semi- the conference semifinals. And the first game we'll be seeing is Colorado versus Dallas. So looking at these teams that are in round two so far, there's only two surprise teams, and they're actually in the same series. I would say the Philadelphia Flyers and the Islanders going into the playoffs this year, we did not expect those two teams to play as well as they have. And I would say they're the surprise team. So one of those surprise teams will be moving on to the conference finals this year, which is absolutely crazy. But let's look at these real quick. Let's just do a quick pick them real quick with these with these four series. Let's start off with Vegas versus Vancouver. Who do you got? Ugh, I got Vegas the six. Uh, I think it's going to come down to uh, to goaltending. Of course, that's the question. Can Mar- Jacob Markstrom keep up with uh, our Armelander and if Marc-Andre Fleury gets healthy in net? Because Vegas has that, you know, monster of a lineup. And, you know, Vegas has been pretty, has a good record against the Canucks as well. 8-0-2. So, I really do think Vegas will come out in six games. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be six. I think it's going to be seven for this series, though. Because this series, I think it's going to go back and forth. I know the goaltending situation will be... I think it'll be better in Vegas than it will be in Vancouver. I think Vegas has a better goaltending duo, especially if Marc-Andre Fleury does get healthy and he, he's able to play a bit. Um, but again, yeah, I think the Vegas will definitely win this game, win this series in seven. It's going to be a tough series for them. It's going to be a tough test. But I think if they are able to win this series, they will move on to the Stanley Cup final. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they'll move on to the Stanley Cup final. So let's go to the next series, Colorado versus Dallas. Oh, I got the Avalanche of seven. Uh, it's going to be a very challenging battle for in this series. I mean, I think this could be the best series. I really do think that whoever wins this series could win the Stanley Cup. I definitely think because you got Dallas with the little veterans, stingy defense, and then you're going up against a powerhouse Colorado team that scores a lot of goals. Two interesting styles, um, but I do think that's going to come down to those third, fourth lineups. I'm going to go with Colorado on that one to be the difference. And, of course, Colorado wins in seven. I still don't have faith in Q Dobin being the starting goaltender in Dallas, especially if Ben Bishop's not able to come back to play if he's still designated unfit to play. So in this series, I think it's actually going to go in six. I think Colorado's going to win this one, especially with the firepower they have on offense. McKinnon, we talked about them before, McKinnon and and those guys up there. I think it's going to be a very, very tough battle for the Dallas Stars. Even though they'll get they'll give it, They'll give them a run for their money. I don't think it's going to be that big of a run going into Game 7. So I think it's going to be a six-game series. Colorado will get the edge in that one. So let's go to the Eastern Conference. Philadelphia versus the New York Islanders. Oh, This one's going to be a toss-up for me. But you know what? <laughs> As I just seen this team play, let's, let's keep it going. I'm going to say the New York Islanders in six just because with the way this team is playing right now, 10 different players scoring 17 different goals and different styles. This is a team, a team that's built to win. And I don't think a lot of people expect that. And you're getting stellar goaltending play from um, Verlamov and 
And of course, Barry Trotz, seeing a system, how it works out, you're going to have a lot of players being physical, getting in your face, but also blocking shots, making it very offensively to struggle. And they suffocated my Capitals. I don't expect any different that they're going to slow down the Flyers' offense. So I think the Islanders will win in six. You know, this is one of two teams that I did not choose going forward out of the first round. So the first, the two teams, it was the New York Islanders and the Dallas Stars. Those two teams I thought were not going to make it past the first round. I thought the Calgary Flames were going to make it in the Capitals. Unfortunately, that didn't come to pass. So I got six out of eight at a first round. Hey, that's not too bad. Um, but I will say, though, that the Islanders are playing very, very well. The Philadelphia Flyers, something's happening with Carter Hart. I think his confidence is is almost shot, if not already shot, especially after this this last series. So, in my opinion, it's so it'd be it'd be a mistake for me to choose the Flyers in this point. So I'm going to have to go with the Islanders. I think the Islanders are going to are going to show their strength in this series and prove to be too much for the Philadelphia Flyers. I say this game probably goes. I would. I'll, I'll you know what? I think this game will go to seven. I think this series will go to seven. It'll be a tough series for both teams, but I think <clears> this game, this series will go to seven. So, okay, so you got two game seven so far. Yes, right. two games because we haven't seen, we didn't see game seven in, for, in the first round, so we might as well see game seven in this round. Um, yeah, that was very surprising. No, it's game seven. It's not yeah. one. <laughs> make up, make up for the uh, loss of game seven. We got five overtimes in one game, but no game. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So let's move into the last series: Tampa Bay versus the Boston Bruins. Uh, this is a real tough uh, toss-up on this one. I mean, both teams, you know, Boston, with a good special teams lineup, defense. Of course, I think with Tuka Rask out, it's going to make maybe a slight difference. But Yaroslav Halak is an experienced goalie, so I think he'll keep Boston in it. But you know what, Dylan? I really think Tampa Bay Lightning learned their lesson last year, getting embarrassed, hearing all last year, you got swept. You won the Preds, Scott. You were supposed to win a cup, blah, blah, blah. Didn't happen. But I think the Lightning have learned a lesson. I think they're going to win this in seven. But it's going to be tough with Stamco still out. So, again, it's the toss-up, Dylan. But I'm going to lean towards Tampa Bay in this series. You know what? <clears throat> I'm leaning towards Tampa Bay as well. I think that getting the monkey off your back, in this instance, the Blue Jackets, I think that that's a huge deal for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think that... If you look back at 2017 when the National Predators went to the playoffs, we were the wild we were the wild card team, and we came in against all odds. We went into the first round, played up against the Chicago Blackhawks, and beat them. And we went to the Stanley Cup final that year because of of us eliminating the Kryptonite. I think that that was a huge move for the National Predators. So eliminating the Kryptonite can be a huge motivation. A motivating boost, I guess you could say, for the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially taking out the Blue Jackets in the first round. So it's going to be very hard to stop them, and especially with Halak and Net, it's not the same as having Tuka Rask in there. I definitely think Tampa Bay is going to win. I think this will probably go to game six. So six games, Tampa Bay, I think they'll advance to the conference finals. So let's move on to NBA news. Talk about the NBA playoffs happening at Disney World at the ESPN Wide World of Sports complex there. So let's start off with the Eastern Conference. Orlando versus the Bucks. Orlando came out in this series, actually, winning the first game. The series is tied now. But did you think that was going to happen? Because I didn't think that was going to happen. 
I did not, Dylan. I mean, I honestly, I, I missed the game. Um, but my roommate was telling me about it. He was like, hey, the Magic beat the Bucks," And I'm like, what are you, joking? And I had to look it up. And I was like, oh, they beat the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, 122 to 110. Wow. But Giannis really had a bad game in that game. Vucicic went off. 35 points? I mean, we were off to a good start. But then they lose game two. And I kind of said the same thing. I'm like, it's like last year. The Magic beat the Raptors in game one, and they lost all the other games. So I was, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. They win game one, okay? But then they lose the rest of the games. And Dylan, it's going to be much harder this time because Aaron Gordon's going to be out, and uh, Michael Carr Williams is also going to be out for the Magic. He will not play today as the Magic are about to tip off in 10 minutes. So... Uh, I think I don't know, Dylan. I think it's all she wrote from the Magic. But hey, at least we made the playoffs, you know, right? So yep, second year in a row too. <laughs> second year in a row, which is great for the Orlando Magic. And I mean, they do have somewhat of home court advantage playing in Orlando. Not really, but kind of. So that's pretty cool for them. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think the Magic are going to make it past the Bucks. That's going to be very. Uh, Tough. And let's actually get to this question, too, because it's kind of referring to this series and the Lakers versus Portland Trailblazers. Dustin Geisler on Facebook submitted a question to us. Who's more in trouble of not reaching the next round, the Bucks or the Lakers? I think I know the answer to this question. But I'm going to toss it to you first. Oh, well, Dylan, it's kind of obvious now, but it's kind of interesting you mentioned this because we talked about this in my advanced interview class the other day after the results in game one. And I said at the time, I felt the Lakers were more in trouble because uh, Damian Lillard and his stellar play in game one and uh, CJ McCollum stepping up big for the Blazers. And the Lakers just looked slow. They really didn't get anything going. And other than LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the rest of their bench didn't show up. They really struggled. And the Lakers bounced back, of course, in game two. But now Damian Lillard is hurt. Just like Luka Doncic got hurt from the Mavs. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But with David Lillard out, you know, Carmelo is basically has to carry the team with CJ McCollum and, all, and these other guys. And if, 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 like I said, this was as of yesterday, I would, I would say the Lakers for sure. Lakers are in trouble. But now with these injuries with the Trailblazers and what's going on with the Bucks now with the Magic, with their players being injured, at least like those team teams still are going to bounce back and win their series respectively. But I still think if we're looking at conferences, the Lakers will still have an adjustment to deal with because, you know, they could play the, the, the right now the Jazz are up on the Nuggets, but that's still a tough series. And you still could have a, another tough series between Houston and Oklahoma City. So the Lakers, Dylan, they got to get – this was – like game one loss, which to me is a wake-up call for them, set the alarm bells, get them going. I think they're going to get their game going. But down in as we get, as they advance further in the playoffs, it's going to be a tough road for them. It's not going to be easy peasy like everyone expected them to be when the NBA restart started. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough road for both teams, especially in the East too, because you have the Miami Heat. They're leading right now the Indiana Pacers 2-0. The Celtics are up on the 76ers 3-0 because 76ers are just a dumpster fire right now. And then yeah, the Clippers. No <laughs> and then I'm sorry, the Raptors and the Nets. The Raptors are up on the Nets 3-0. So. There are some really tough teams in the Eastern Conference that the, the Bucks will have to go up against 
if they advance past this this series with the Magic, which I think they will. So to answer Dustin's question, I think it's going to be um, the Bucks who are going to have. I'm sorry, the Lakers are going to have more trouble getting to the next round than the Bucks. But I think both teams will actually make it. Making it to the the conference final, I think it's going to be tougher probably for the Lakers than it will be for the Bucks. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's just so much there's so much competition, so much and so many good teams in both conferences right now that are playing um, the Heat, Celtics, Raptors in the East, and then you got the Lakers, Rockets, Jazz, and Clippers look like they're the ones that are going to be advancing too. In the West, I mean, there are some really tough teams there. So I th- it's going to be tough tests for both teams. I don't know which one will actually make it to the conference finals, but it's just going to be very, very tough, especially... It's like the NHL, too. I mean, NHL was the same thing. We, we went into the playoffs thinking that certain teams were going to be better than they were, and they come out flat, or they come out not with the you know their gas um, the gas pedal down to the metal. You know, it's just it's so, something's going on, and it's just you know it's it's COVID times. That's what I'm blaming it on. It's COVID times. So I think that's going to be a very tough test. But let's move on to the Easter Conference. Uh, the other series we got there, like I said, the Miami Heat's leading the Pacers two zero. Celtics are leading the Seventy Sixers three zero. The Raptors are, are leading the Nets 3-0. Which one of those series surprises you the most, JT? <clears throat> um, if any. Well, I think, well, I'm, I'm not too surprised, but I at least thought the series would be closer was probably the Celtics and Sixers. Of course, Sixers don't have, uh, the, the 76ers don't have uh, Ben Simmons. So you have Joel Embiid, but Joel Embiid can't carry the team by himself, and they don't have a supporting cast. Al Horford hasn't been able to help the team much from the bench. And the Celtics, even though Gordon Hayward's going to be out for probably a month, Jason Tatum has carried that team. And that's why the Boston Celtics are up 3-0. The Miami Heat and Indiana Pacers, the Pacers don't have Oladipo. He got an eye injury in the first game. He's going to be out for a while. It looks like it's going to be done and dusted for the Indiana Pacers. And then the Brooklyn Nets... Uh, do they have anybody left in that team? Because remember, <laughs> when the restart started, everybody was dipping out left and right. Kyrie Irving, of course, Kevin Durant, we know he's hurt. And uh, they had to re-sign all these players from the street, literally. And, you know, Toronto, I think a lot of people are sleeping on Toronto. Uh, Van Vliet is very cared that t- team and uh, nursed to coach. You know, this is a team that even though they won a championship, last year with Kawhi Leonard, and they don't have him this year. Toronto's a really decent team, Dylan. So I want to be sleeping on the Raptors. That's a team that I think could challenge the Milwaukee Bucks if they make it to the Eastern Conference Final. But let's switch gears to the Western Conference. Of course, we already just talked about the Lakers and Portland Trailblazers. Let's take a look at Houston Rockets. They got a 2-0 lead over the OKC Thunder. Uh, Russell Westbrook has looked really good. And, of course, James Harden. Uh, Utah Jazz surprisingly have a 2-1 lead over the Denver Nuggets. Donovan Mitchell, he's been tearing it up for the Utah Jazz. He scored, what, 57 points in Game 1? So, Donovan Mitchell's been doing really well in this series. And they have a surprise lead over the Nuggets. I still think that will probably go seven games. And then the Clippers, uh, well, I really thought the Mavericks still were really going to give the Clippers all they can handle in the series. But, as I mentioned... Luka Doncic, he scored 47 points in Game 1 in a losing effort. They bounced back in Game 2. But now Luka Doncic, Game 3, gets hurt with an ankle injury. And he's getting his MRI today. So if he misses the series, 
the match is done, and the Clippers will win the series. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see them overcoming this injury at all because Luka Doncic is 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 the Dallas Mavericks. He he is the guy in Dallas, and so if if he's unable to go, I do not see them putting up a fight against the Clippers because that Clippers team is. I mean, we were talking about it at the beginning of the season too with the NBA. They were a contender for the title this season already just seeing their roster and they've played very well so far. I, I think that the Clippers are going to be a team, a team to a very hard team to handle going into the next round. I think they will move on to the next round, especially if Don Cheech is out for the rest of the series, which is look, it looks like it's getting to that point. He tried to go on his ankle last night after he got injured and he just couldn't. He was on the court for a few minutes, and he just couldn't go. So they took him off the court, and like you said, they're they're doing those tests on him right now to see what's going on with his ankle. But again, I think it's going to be really tough for them to overcome that, and the Clippers will probably move on to the next round. All right, Dylan. Well, let's talk some baseball. Baseball, still the season's still going on, but unfortunately the coronavirus strikes again. This time, the New York Mets, as they've had two players, uh, one play, or two Mets players, not pl- players, one player, there we go, and one staff member have been infected. So the Mets have had to postpone some of their games. So now we have four teams that have been affected, the Miami Marlins, the St. Louis Cardinals, the St. Cincinnati Reds, and now the New York Mets. Dylan, I think the issue with baseball, if this keeps dragging on like this, where because you remember, Dylan, Major League Baseball is trying to play 60 games, and you're on such a tight window. You can't just keep postponing games, pushing back to what the season till Christmas. You can't do that. So they gotta figure out something to get these teams to make up. And I know for the Cardinals because they missed like what three weeks, they've had to play a lot of doubleheader games. And it looks like if the Mets have to sit out for a couple weeks, they're gonna have to do the same thing and same thing with the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, you look at the other major leagues that are in they're playing right now especially playing playoff games the nhl has zero cases over what like the the last three or four weeks and then you have the nba who's had zero cases the past few weeks so it's really tough to see the mlb coming out like this i mean we go back to when they started the mlb season should they have gone to a bubble situation and I think you see this and say the answer is yes. I think they should have at the beginning. They haven't yet, and I don't think they will. But at the same time, I think they can continue the season this way. But some of the policies and procedures they have in place need to be vamped up. I I think that there are certain things that, I mean, they need to be monitoring their players, making sure they're not going out different places. Because that was the big problem for Miami and St. Louis. They were just going out partying. I think Miami Marlins actually went, they went partying. I think the St. Louis Cardinals went to um, a gentleman's club, I believe. It's just, you know, just watch your players. Tell your players, listen, if you want to play, don't do these things. But if you don't want to play, keep doing them. I'll send the whole team home. Like, at that point, your season's over with. If you have a certain number of players who are lackadaisical about this whole situation, about this whole COVID-19 situation that's affected, you know, so many people in the country, killed almost 170,000 people, although it doesn't affect, mostly it doesn't affect, you know, players of that age and, and people of that age and that health and whatever. But still, I mean, you need to take it seriously, especially if you want to play baseball. I know it's tough. 
I know it's it's hard, you know, with the whole rigors of the season and not having fans in the stands and and having these these restrictions and such, but it's just it's a necessary evil at this point. If you want to play baseball, you, you know, you have to buy into the policies that are in place. And if you don't buy into those policies, then sorry, you're not going to play baseball anymore this season. I agree, Dylan. One thing I know Major League Baseball and the Commissioner Rob Manfred has talked about is they are considering a bubble format, but it'll be for the postseason. They'll pick one location. The what, 16 teams, I think, now are going to play this year in the playoffs. will go to one location, and they'll, they'll play the games. So that's what they have talked about. But for, yes, the biggest issue, I agree with you, Dylan, has been Washington players, all these coronavirus protocol. Players not staying home, they're just going out and about, and they're going to keep exposing themselves at risk. And I don't think baseball, Dylan, is the only league that's going to have this issue. We're going to see this in the NFL when they start next month. And I'm pretty sure, fingers crossed, if college football kicks a ball this fall, <laughs> it's going to, they're going to have the same issue. My Longhorns play September 12th, but <laughs> less than a few weeks. But I'm just saying, anybody that's not in a bubble, like WNBA, Major League Soccer, the NHL, and uh, the NBA, you know, it's going to be a struggle. And I just don't understand why the other leagues consider they see it works. If it's working, why don't you do it? Yeah. That's what I say. <laughs> I, I agree. If, if you see it's working, especially in the NHL and the NBA, it's been working so well for both leagues. So well. And their viewership numbers are are through the roof, especially in NHL, because it, it, it's, it's entertaining to watch. It's the only sports that are on TV. So people are going to tune in and watch live sports when they can. It gives them a piece of normalcy. And with that normalcy, I mean, you see it. The bubble cities are working. And if other leagues decide to do that, then it's probably the best way to go. If not, you have to have some very, very strict guidelines and strict policies in place for those players to not get infected and spread the infection throughout the entire team. So now let's move on to some NFL news. The Tennessee Titans will have no fans at Nissan Stadium, according to the mayor there in Nashville. That's a huge move. I know there have been several teams. I know the the Baltimore Ravens have been talking about having fans there. I think they said about 20% of fans. There have been several teams in the league saying there'll be about 20% fans in the stands, mostly season ticket holders, but it's very tough to hear that the Tennessee Titans will not have fans in the stands this season. Well, as far as from what I read, Dylan, it's for sure the home opener and maybe a few games. They haven't announced if it's going to be the entire season. It's just as of right now, for now, they will have no fans. But this is the dilemma, Dylan, that the NFL is going to have to deal with because Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, has said that he feels that for the NFL, he's not happy that they don't have like a uniform policy where there's not like a set attendance across the board, like 20%. Now, I think Mike Zimmer has to understand, well, one, the NFL is delegating to local officials and their markets to dictate whether they're going to have fans or not. So I think that's the first thing. But I can understand the confusion because, like, in Minnesota, for example, their state restriction is prohibiting crowds larger than 250 people. So basically, when the Vikings play at U.S. Bank Stadium, there will be no fans. And 
It's going to be an empty dome stadium. So literally, you're going to watch TV on Sunday, Dylan, a Vikings game, and you can literally hear what the players or coaches are saying because it's going to echo through the entire dome. Everyone's <laughs> going to be able to hear what's going on. And uh, I know in some other markets where they may have some fans, like 20%, it, fan support, especially in a sport like football, Dylan, it does make a difference on getting that home support for the team. So I can understand where Mike Zimmer is coming from. And for the Titans, it's going to definitely affect them being outdoors, you know. But the Titans just got to keep focusing on their game and try to get beat the Jaguars at home on September 20th and, you know, try to get through the season and, you know, see how it goes. But it's going to definitely be a challenge for a lot of these teams for sure. It's where some markets, like I said, New York, California, no fans. But here in Florida, uh, I'm pretty sure – not Miami. The Dolphins won't have any fans. I know that for sure. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they've talked about maybe having 20% fans, and so have the Jaguars. Yeah, and, and I agree with the NFL not having a uniform policy simply because it's very tough to just say everybody since two or three cities, let's just say two or three cities. I know there are more than that, but let's say two or three cities have an outbreak of COVID, coronavirus right now. So we're going to shut down the entire arena for every single team to where fans cannot attend the games. I understand that it should be a local issue. I, I think it should be a team issue if there's a certain number of cases or a certain uh, percentage of positivity rate in that city. I think that they can change the numbers that way. And having 20% of fans in the stands is not going to do much for the team. I mean, having them sit far enough back in the stands, it's not like that... The, this airborne, they're sitting, most of them are sitting outside anyway, but coronavirus is spread in close contact. It's not spread across a football field. So it's going to be different. I, I think that the NFL is doing the right thing, especially saying we're not going to come out with a uniform policy. But at the same time, we do have policies in place to help curb the spread of coronavirus amongst the players and things like that. I'm sure there will be protocols in place too for if fans are able to come into the stands that they can't do certain things or they have to sit a certain length apart or things like that. Um, Again, I don't think there needs to be a blanket policy for this. I know Mike Zimmer, I understand where Mike Zimmer is coming from, especially if like a team, let's say like the Miami Dolphins are coming to a team like the Baltimore Ravens you know, Miami has a bigger issue with the coronavirus right now compared to Baltimore. So will that bring the virus up there to to Baltimore? Things like I completely understand. But at the same time, I think having some fans in the stands is okay. <clears throat> I'm not saying pack the stadium like Tennessee was talking about a few months ago. I'm just saying... Uh, Tennessee volunteers, by the way. Um, I'm just saying having some fans in the stands is is not going to hurt much. I just think the only the, the only thing I find interesting about the story, Dylan, is the only team that I think does not have an issue with this is, of course, the Green Bay Packers, who happen to be the Vikings' home opener opponents on <laughs> September 13th. So for the Packers fans, they don't have to hear the skull chant in the building. So there you go. There you go. That's good. Let's move on to next, the next news. The Washington head coach, Ron Rivera, announced to his team just a few days ago that he actually has cancer, very early onset cancer, um, and he plans to coach this season, although they do have plan B in place just in case 
So our thoughts and prayers are with the Rivera family as he goes through this time. Hopefully everything turns out well for him. Again, they caught it very early. He said that it, it is curable at this point, so that's a good thing for us, um, especially for the Washington football fans out there. I'm sure they're very happy to hear that too. But Ron Rivera is a, a key piece in this league. He's, he's been a staple in this league for quite some time. He's a great coach, a great guy, it seems like, too. And I'm definitely glad to hear that things look like they're going to turn out okay. Um, but we'll still keep him in his prayer, in our prayers as this moves forward. And, yeah, Dylan, uh, yes. I was going to chime in and say, you know, I agree. And uh, definitely uh, send our thoughts, prayers, and hope that Ron Rivera gets through these challenge times okay. But I'm definitely glad to hear that he said it's very treatable and curable as well. And I think the other thing is Ron Rivera is a, a kind of a key pillar right now for this Washington franchise. Got that right this time. <laughs> and uh, so because with everything going on with Washington, and we're not just talking about the White House, Dilly, and the Capitals. We all, that's a whole other hot mess we could talk about another day. <laughs> but but uh, with the Washington franchise, Ron Rivera is like the glue, trying to keep everybody together right now. With all the turmoil going on in the front office, what Dan Sire is trying to do to change the organization with T-Name and all this. And what's been going on in the front office? These executives getting fired for harassment through the treatment of women and that work with the team. And Ron Rivera wants to promote change. The Washington franchise has made those changes, and I think he'll be a key to that going forward. So hopefully he gets three challenge times okay and makes progress on those changes for Washington. Because I know a lot of fans, I'm not a Redskin, a Washington fan, excuse me, but <laughs> for the football team, but I do want to see that team turn around and not be a laughing stock anymore. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and also talking about Washington, too, there was some training camp footage that came out the other day, and it was Alex Smith next to Dwayne Haskins. They drop back at the same time, throw the football. Alex Smith completes his pass. But Dwayne Haskins, I don't know what he was doing, but his pass did not look good at all. It was not a completion. Uh, so there might be some quarterback controversy there, too, with Alex Smith coming back. We'll see what happens throughout this training camp. But Alex Smith might be on the way to possibly starting for the Washington, Washington football team, which is something I don't think I would have ever said. But after what's happened with him and his leg and things of that nature and all the surgeries he's gone through, there was a an ESPN short about like a little video about it too it's he went through a lot with his leg and to see him progress this much is absolutely incredible so it would be a miracle to see him on the on the field once again but i i would not don't count that out i wouldn't be surprised if you would see alex smith as the starting quarterback for the um, washington football team this season so let's go to the next piece of news speaking of quarterbacks let's talk about cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow so yes Dylan Joe Burrow number one pick for the in the Bengals in the 2020 NFL draft uh the Bengals just had their scrimmage yesterday and he's impressed his teammates already uh he did nine for 10 passing 101 yards two touchdowns on his first couple of drives and went 13 for 19 so he's off to a good start so far for the Bengals Dylan how do you think Joe Burrow's gonna change this Bengals offense this season? You know, I think he's very decisive when he's in the pocket. I think he makes the right decisions when he needs to run or needs to pass. 
I, I think Joe is just going to bring some confidence to the locker room. I think that's a big thing, too, especially the past few years. With Andy Dalton, I didn't really see much confidence being exuded by him in in that position. And so having a quarterback like Joe Burrow coming in and being that steady hand, especially being a leader in the in, in the huddle, too. I think he's a real leader in the locker room for, for the Bengals. So I think that's the biggest thing that's going to change for the Bengals. I think that Joe Burrow is going to go in there, prove that he is the leader of this team, and take this team to where they haven't seen before, or in a while anyway, uh, take them to heights they've never seen before. I think that Joe Burrow is going to do very well. I don't think it's going to be an instant thing. I don't think he's going to be a Super Bowl quarterback in his first year, but I think he's definitely going to get, he's going to definitely work this team to a better record this season. And I I think that he's just going to do very well in Cincinnati. We shall see. We'll know in a couple weeks for sure. All right, Dylan, anything else before we transition to the football recap of the week? No, um, I think it's time for that. So JT, I'll take it. I'll let you take it away from here, sir. All right, guys. And as always, Out of Bounds is here to recap the latest from the beautiful game. So let's talk about the UEFA Europa League yesterday's game between Sevilla and Inter Milan. Very close game, but Sevilla won on pel- not penalty kicks. Sorry, they won- they got goals on their free kicks and were able to hang on to win that game three to two. And for Sevilla, this is like uh, they've won like this like their fourth Europa League. And like this past decade, and they've also qualified for the Champions League for this upcoming season. So congrats to Sevilla. Speaking of Champions League, the UEFA Champions League final in Portugal will be tomorrow between Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich. Who would have thought PSG, a team that spent a lot of money but always choked in the round of 16 or the quarterfinals, and yet they Mbappe and Neymar and crew finally got over the hump being Atalanta in the quarterfinal, getting past RB Leipzig in the semifinal, and they made it to the final. While for Bayern Munich, man, it's been pretty much cruise control for them. They knocked out Chelsea. They were able to get cruise in the quarterfinals over Barcelona, 8-2, being Messi and his squad there. And then, of course, in the semifinal, they beat Olympic Lyonnais uh, 3-0 to advance to the final. So very different styles zilling between these two teams. But I'm going to say, you know what? I think this is PSG's year. I think Kylian Mbappe, Neymar finally get over the hump. They beat Bayern Munich. And for PSG, this is the first time in the Champions League final. First time they ever made it as a club. And this might be their best shot. So they got to get it done. And I think they will. Being Bayern Munich, 4-2 tomorrow. That's my prediction. Now, let's talk some local Orlando City soccer news where Orlando City, uh, they announced that for Exploria Stadium, where the Lions play, they will have fans at the games, Dylan, but it will be capped at 20% capacity. So my friends were looking at tickets and no joke, Dylan, you can basically buy your own section in the (laughs) stadium. Wow. So if you go to Orlando City game, Yes, you'll do social distancing, basically. But you'll, base, you'll, for the most part, have your own row, for the most part. So you can scream and yell, whatever, have the whole stadium. You know, it'll be a pretty interesting experience. But like we talked about all your sports, everything going on, uh, reduced fan attendance. It's going to be tough, but that's better than no fans, I guess. 
So as long as they can do it safe, that's all I care about. Now, speaking of Orlando City, they do have a game today, Dylan. They play Inter-Miami Club de Football at 8 p.m. down in Fort Lauderdale for Inter-Miami. This is going to be their first home game during that in their inaugural season. It was supposed to have back in March, but when the coronavirus pandemic hit, the league had to shut down. So now they're going to finally have their home opener down in Fort Lauderdale. There will be no fans there, of course, but I'm going to watch the game when I get off of work later tonight and see how they do because this was the Lions' first time away from home. So after being in Orlando for two months because the MLS back tournament was in our backyard down at ESPN Wild World Sports Complex. Yes. So that was pretty interesting. And with that, guys, that will conclude my football recap of the week. Let's head on to winners and losers. I'm going to start with mine this week. So my winner is the Las Vegas Raiders. They actually sent out this huge season ticket package. Package. I guess you could call it, um, to all their season ticket holders this season, even though they will not be um, having full arenas and things of that nature. Uh, they did have a stadium. It was like a stadium replica with their ticket stubs printed out on this silver, beautiful paper. It, it was absolutely incredible. If you haven't seen it, go online. So my winners, Las Vegas Raiders, they actually did something good for their fans this week, which is great. And it's it really proves to the season ticket holders that they do care about them still, and they wish they were there. However, with the circumstances that most of them will not be there, if not all of them will not be there. So it just depends on what happens throughout the season. And my loser this week is the teddy bear that absolutely got demolished by a home run the other night versus the, versus the Diamondbacks and the A's. Absolutely crazy situation where the ball just so happened to land in the face of a teddy bear. It was disturbing to watch. If you haven't seen the video, go check it out online on Twitter. It was very interesting. I I, I feel for that bear. He is definitely my loser this week, though, because of that hit. Um, But a good catch by him. At least he bounced back, and he got to watch the rest of the game. So that's that's a good thing. So that's my winners and losers. JT, let's move on to yours. My winner this week is going to be Javier Chicharito Hernandez because... He actually gets a UEFA Europa League winner's medal, even though he didn't play in the game yesterday. Now, he. long story short, Chicharito did play for Sevilla this past fall. He played in the group stage for Sevilla before he moved on to come to MLS and play with the LA Galaxy this past January. So UEFA rule says, hey, everybody that's played, no matter where they're at, they have to get a medal. So... He gets the medal, even though he didn't play. So good for him. But he needs to score goals for LA Galaxy. He needs to do that. He got goals for Sevilla, but not many since he came to the Galaxy. My illusion this week is going to be the city of Marseille in France. Because they literally put a ban. And I can't understand because Marseille and PSG, they're rivals in Ligue 1 in the French League. But they put a ban saying no fans can wear PSG shirts. And then the police was like, we're not doing this. What are you, are you nuts? You know, <laughs> this is France. This is their team in their final. They're gonna make history. We gotta, we gotta support them, even though we're their rivals. But so they got rid of that band. Said we're not doing that. We're gonna let the fans go celebrate. And if they win, well, they're gonna run around in their PSG shirts anyway. So it doesn't really matter. So Marseille is my loser this week. All right, Dylan. Let's go to final thoughts. You want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll let you go first. All right. Well. I'm going to keep this soccer-related, but I'm going to talk about Lionel Messi. Now, I mentioned earlier in the football recap of the week that unfortunately for Lionel Messi, 
This team got blown out 8-2 last Friday against Bayern Munich and the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals in Portugal. And Lionel Messi this whole week has said, I want out. I don't want to be in Barcelona anymore. Get me out of here. So uh, people were like, is he serious? Like, it's some kind of joke. But no, Lionel Messi has gone on the board and has told them, after being in Barcelona for nearly 20 years, he wants out. So Lionel Messi is looking at options. Now, here's the situation. They fired their manager, T.K. Setien, after that terrible performance. They got rid of him. They brought in Ronald Koeman, the former Dutch national team manager. And even though Koeman has said he wants Messi to stay, the board, who is making a decision, is thinking, you know what? Messi's been here for almost 20 years. Maybe it's time to get move on. Maybe it's time. So, under the right circumstances, the board is at least considering selling Messi. And they said that, hey, we're open to offers if it's money-wise, matches everything we need. And for all, Coleman, it's in a difficult situation. Because not only you may lose your best player, one of the best players in the world, Leon Messi, but they also need to reduce their costs. Because Barcelona has a lot of money tied up in the contract situation. And they got to let players go to make some more money to bring in the young players. So Messi may not be the only one leaving, but Luis Suarez and Jordi Alba will be another that's going to be playing. So, I mean, I, I don't believe it until I see it, but if Lionel Messi goes, man, where would he go? Would he go to Manchester City in England? Would he go to PSG in Paris? Maybe he comes to MLS, joins Orlando City? Ooh. I really doubt it. Okay. I, I highly doubt it, but yeah, I, I do too. But uh, I mean, Lorenzo got money, but not that much to buy Messi. <laughs> but uh, but uh, hey, I mean, I I never thought I would see him leave the blue grana and leave those colors, but it could happen. We'll have to wait and see the summer. I know one thing, Dylan. Messi has one year left in his contract, so Alex Ovechkin, they got to figure out what they're going to do with him because if they don't give him an extension next year. Like Ovechkin, he can walk for free. So they got to get that situation figured out for FC Barcelona. Zillin, what are your final thoughts? My final thought goes out to Trevor Lawrence. It's a shout-out, actually. So with all of this talk about college football being canceled this year and some conferences wanting to cancel, others were not wanting to cancel, there was a huge a huge cluster that happened last weekend and the big 10 had this emergency meeting talking about we need to cancel the season. And they were trying to talk to the other power five conferences to get them to do the same. But Trevor Lawrence actually tweeted this out and it's kind of long, but bear with me. So he said, people, people are at just as much, if not more risk. If we don't play players will all be sent home in to their own communities where social distancing is highly unlikely and medical care and expenses will be placed on the families if they were to contract COVID-19. Not to mention the players coming from situations that are not good for them or their future and having to go back to that. Football is a safe haven for so many people. We are more likely to get the virus in everyday life than playing football, which is a huge message coming from a, a top ACC quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. So the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, as of right now, still have a plan in place to where they will be playing their season. They have not canceled their season. The other two Power 5 conferences, including the Big Ten, have canceled their seasons or postponed them so far. I know there was a big uproar with the Big Ten. There were some parents that got together, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago, that had a rally 
talking about this whole situation. And that was Nebraska, right? Yeah, I believe so. They were wanting to get back the season, but the commissioner came out and said, we are not changing our minds. This rally doesn't do anything to us. We are going to continue to keep our season canceled slash postponed, which is awful for players. But Trevor Lawrence made some really, really good points in his tweet that he had talking about how, you know, it's, it's worse for these players to go back home into their regular everyday lives. And that's, they're more, there's more of a chance of them contracting this disease than if they're actually on campus with the football team, with the medical professionals they have there on campus. It's, it's a great point by him. It's a very, very strong statement from Trevor Lawrence. And there's been a hashtag, hashtag we want to play. And hopefully these players will be able to do so. Hopefully these three conferences will actually play and they have the highest ratings they've ever seen in college football history because they deserve it. They, they've done very well so far. They have already put together schedules and such. I know there are some protocols they're still trying to work out, but I think everything is going to turn out fine. Hopefully everything turns out well for these players and they'd be able to showcase their skills as they get ready for the NFL season next season. So it's, it's, it's definitely great news from SEC, ACC, and the Big 12. Hopefully everything turns out well. Yeah, Dylan, just wanted to add on that. We kind of alluded to this when we had our show two weeks ago, and I talked about how where's the NCAA in this? Why are they not taking a lead, turning a direction, instead of making these conferences make all the decisions, yeah, especially yeah. in a situation of a global pandemic? And I mentioned the biggest loser in this, Dylan, is obviously the players, because especially if they're seniors like Trevor Lawrence or Ohio State Justin Fields, they want to play, and... We know the coaches want to play, but the leaders involved, the presence of these schools are making these decisions, Dylan, I think based on, of course, I think the medical data, obviously, but then you're looking at the lawyers telling them, don't play. If someone gets killed or whatever, you're going to get lost, all this stuff. And they've had to back out. That's why I think why the Big Ten, the Pac-12 have. The SEC, the Big 12, and the AC are planning to play for now. But look what's happening with North Carolina. And Notre Dame, these students going to school, and they're like, nope, you got to see your home because people tested positive is route party. And then Tennessee, your, your, your school down there, the University of Tennessee, they threaten if people break COVID-19 protocol, you're going to get expelled from the school. I'm like, dang, Tennessee ain't messing around. So <laughs> They want uh, their football. That's why. They want their oh, football. Oh, oh, I know. I don't blame them. So, and not only that, even Nick Saban is chiming in and said, look, if we had to push college football to the spring, it's going to be JV football because a lot of the players that are seniors are going to have to opt out because I don't think the NFL is going to help college football. So, you know, we'll push our draft back till June. Help you. No, I don't see them doing well, it. Well, they have come out and said they will try to do that. But at the same time, do do seniors want to do that? In the sense that they might get injured during a game in the spring, and it's going to be an even longer timetable for them to get healthy before the NFL season starts. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, it's just tough with the seniors. But no, if I'm a senior and if, if they push it to spring, like I'm not playing. I'm going to save myself and just get ready for the NFL draft. And these other players, it's it's going to be tough. But we'll see, Dylan. I I I I'm you know me. I'm a Texas Longhorn fan. We play September 12th, and then we play. September 26th, the Big 12 opener, and then we play OU on October 10th. So I hope, fingers crossed, that at least we get a game. I just want a season. I mean, my worry is we play a couple games, then something happens, then we got to pause, and we wait till spring. 
As long as we get a season done, I don't care if we play a couple games of fall, a couple of spring. If we just get a season, have a champion, that's all I care about. Because all the other sports still had to do that. The AHL, NBA, baseball had to start postponed seasons, but they're able to finish the season. And I expect college football to be no different. And the only other reason I say that, Dylan, is obvious. The money. If you cancel it, call it college football, a lot of programs are going to lose money, and you're going to have programs start cutting uh, other sports, like swimming or wrestling or, or whatever. And we don't want that. These programs, for the other sports, need that money to keep them going. So I agree with you, Dylan. I agree. Trevor Lawrence made a strong statement. I totally understand where he's coming from, and I want to see these players play. I really do. But everything's out of our hands right now other than these Power 5 conferences making these decisions. And I'm sure they're trying to do what's best out of the situation. But regardless of what they decide, Dylan, to me, as long as we have a season, even if it's a short season, that's better than no playing college football at all. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed and hopefully see some college football in a few weeks. So that's the show for you guys. Thanks for listening to us. You can follow us on all of our social medias. You can follow us on Instagram, OOB Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, OOB Podcast as well. Facebook page, Out of Bounds with Dylan James. You We're, we're on all podcast platforms too. Acast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. We're everywhere. So if you like the show, hit the subscribe button. Share us with your friends and leave us a review. That'd be fantastic if you guys could do that for us. You can follow me on Instagram, Dylan James underscore FL. You can also follow me on Twitter, Dylan underscore James. JT, what are your social media handles, sir? You all can follow me on Twitter at JTSocket88. That's at JTSOCKA88. You can follow me on Instagram at JT Soccer Sports. Once again, feel free to hit that subscribe button, share us with your friends, and also leave us a review. We would love to have reviews for the show. And everything you guys tell us feedback-wise, we try to implement a lot of those things so that we can make this show better for you. That's what we're doing it for, and we just love talking sports. So thanks for listening once again, and we'll talk to you guys real soon.